Your next promotion is within your control, and this podcast shows you how to get there. Welcome to episode number 97. I am so excited about today's interview with Minda Hartz. Minda is the author of Right Within, How to Heal from Racial Trauma in the Workplace. Now, I'm saying that I am excited about having a very deep and very necessary conversation. So you are going to want to listen to this entire thing. It is action-packed, and Minda is an absolutely phenomenal leader. I can't wait to share this interview with you. Listen on. Welcome to Maximize Your Career with Stacey Mayer, a podcast about achieving your career goals while also being yourself. Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of Maximize Your Career. I'm your host, Stacey Mayer, and super excited this week to bring to you a very special guest. Minda Hartz is on today's episode. And if you haven't come across Minda's work, well, your life is going to be forever changed. Minda is the author of The Memo, What Women of Color Need to Know to Secure a Seat at the Table. And she is also the author of an upcoming book that comes out in the month of October. So by the time you are listening to this episode, her book will be widely available and run, don't walk to your nearest real tailor to buy this book. Because if it's anything like her first book, it's going to be groundbreaking and life-changing. I'm going to introduce Menda more formally here in a minute. Before I get into that, I want you to know that as you have heard from me, if you've been a longtime listener to my podcast, you know my commitment to bringing more diverse voices to the leadership table, to actually give women the tools to get themselves promoted into senior executive leadership positions. And when I first found Menda, and I actually, I think I heard her on her podcast called Secure the Seat, which I also recommend that you go and check out. It was very clear to me that she had a similar mission in that she doesn't just take the status quo. Something like in the beginning of the memo, she talks about lean in and what's being taught in women's leadership and how she really noticed that these tools didn't necessarily work for Black women. And and we're going to go more into that, why that is. But I want to say first, thank you to Menda for trusting me as being an advocate for Black women, for women of color to get them recognized as that seat at the table. Because as a white woman, I fall into my own traps. And for her to just say yes to this podcast and for her to say yes to me, it's because she sees something in me and she knows that I am a true advocate for each and every one of you. And so I want to thank her for recognizing that and for helping me support my mission as well. So thank you, Minda, for being here. Happy to be here. Thank you so much, Stacey. We already talked about her first book, which is The Memo. It's an award-winning and best-selling book, uh, The Memo, What Women of Color Need to Know to Secure a Seat at the Table. She is a professor at NYU Wagner and hosts a live weekly podcast called Secure the Seat. In 2020, Minda was named the number one top voice for equity in the workplace by LinkedIn. And her latest book, Right Within, How to Heal from Racial Trauma in the Workplace comes out on October 5th, 2021. 
And in this book, Minda has interviewed more than 200 women of color in diverse fields. And the common through line, racism had killed the careers they'd originally envisioned for themselves. I cannot wait to get into this topic. Thank you so, so much for being here today. Oh, I'm happy to be here. And absolutely, I'm thankful that we have an advocate like you and uh, excited to get into the conversation. Wonderful. So let's go back in time. What were some of your original secrets of success? What did you have to do differently in your own career to start to elevate your own leadership and get to that next level yourself? You know, I think about some of my my missteps uh, in my career. And one of them I have to start with a misstep because I was like many women told when you enter the workforce, just work hard and keep your head down. Right. And when you, when you're keeping your head down, that means that not a lot of people may know what you're doing. Right. And so I realized that I could be doing the best work possible, but if nobody, if the right people don't know what I'm doing, then how am I going to elevate or climb up the ladder? And so once I realized that I have to work hard, but I also have to articulate my value and quantify my worth and, also build relationships with people so that those who are in the rooms that I'm not in are speaking my name or considering me for opportunities. So I'd say the secret to success is when I finally stopped having my head down and I looked up and I got out of my office in my cube and I started building relationships so that others could know what I was doing so that, um, you know, I often say success is not a solo sport. We can do all the things by ourselves, but you, but you need other people as well. Yeah, absolutely. And so I, I, I totally see this playing out. You know, most of the women, when I first meet them, they're definitely head down, they're doing their work. They think a promotion is a reward for their hard work. And then at the end of the day, they're not getting recognized and they wonder why they feel unsettled. But I'm assuming that there's a twist to your story because you didn't just come head up and say, okay, I'm going to build relationships. I'm going to climb the corporate ladder. I think you came head up and you saw something. So tell us a little bit more about what it was that you saw once you pulled your head out of the weeds, once you actually started advocating for yourself and building those relationships. Yeah, you're absolutely right. It it wasn't, um, I didn't just wake up and all of a sudden, you know, the heavens and seas parted (laughs) and there I was. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. (laughs) But but, um, what I did realize is really, it was initially out of frustration because I would see some of my counterparts excelling and getting opportunities. And I was like, wait a second, on paper, they're not doing half as much as I'm doing, you know? And so I was really frustrated because I couldn't figure out how they were getting ahead. And I wasn't because I thought that the workplace worked like many of us, a meritocracy, right? If Mm -hmm. if you work hard, you get the, you get the prize, right? Right. (laughs) And realize that that isn't always the case. But what I realized was what I looked at what they were doing and what I wasn't doing. Mm-hmm. And that one thing was building the right relationships. And so I happened to, at that time, work on the floor with the second most senior person at our company. And so I would, I didn't know him, but I would see him periodically. And then I realized that, okay, if I'm on, I have an asset here, he's on my floor. A lot of my uh, fellow colleagues don't have that access. So let me start to have some kind of FaceTime. Let me start build a relationship with him. Let me start going to the after work activities. Let me start going to the break room birthday parties, you know, because I needed people to know about what I, what I was doing, but, and I'm very much an introvert, Stacy. So I had to push myself to do these things. I realized that I didn't have to be the life of the party. I just had to maximize those opportunities. So for example, when let's call this gentleman, Steve, 
when I would see him in the elevator, I would no longer before when he would say, Hey, Minda, how's it going? I'd say, Oh, great. And I keep staring at the elevator doors. Right. But when I'd see him other times, once I got my head up out of the cube, I said, Oh, I'm doing great, Steve. I'm working on these really great projects. I'd love to tell you about them sometimes. Right. You know, and then I started to build those opportunities when I'd see him in the hallway, I would talk a little bit more about my work. And eventually I asked him for, you know, 15 minutes of his time because I let him know that I do want to excel up the ladder. And so we started to build this um, relationship. And when there was an opportunity, he considered me because he knew what I was doing. He knew Mm -hmm. the work I was doing. And lastly, I'll say, Stacey, it was just almost like everything aligned because I was doing that maybe six to eight months. And I didn't know the outcome, right? But I knew that there had to be a better outcome than what I was doing before. When Steve was in one of his senior leadership meetings, there was an opportunity in a territory that I covered. He said, I think Minda should handle this account. Now, had I not been having those interactions, he never would have known that that was Mm -hmm. a region of mine, but it worked out and the rest is history. So, you know, strategize, strategize, strategize. (laughs) That's awesome. I love that story so much. That's really great. You and I are kindred spirits. (laughs) So tell us about the transition into advocating for your own career to advocating for other women and their careers. So how did you get started in writing the memo and what inspired you to begin doing this work? Yeah, you know, it goes back to an, another pain point I was experiencing. And I realized that all most of the time in my previous life, I was the only either only woman, only black woman, only woman of color in the room. And I started to wonder why that is right. At first, I just started to tell myself that that's just the way it is. And I realized that if I'm feeling this isolation, if I'm feeling, you know, micro or macro aggressed, then there's got to be other women who feel the same way I do right? And we don't have to just accept that this is the way it is. What if we change the the dynamics, right? Maybe not just one of us at the table, but what would it look like if five or six or- Oh, (laughs) I got goosebumps. Oh my gosh. (laughs) And, And really, I just realized that there were so many great women that came before me that, and I'm a direct beneficiary of their courage, of their voice. And I thought, who am I going to leave my courage for? Who's going to be a beneficiary of my courage in my voice. And that's when I started to think about how do we make the workplace work for everybody, not just a select few. And it really led me on this journey to writing the memo because I realized that, yes, women experience inequality in the workplace. But when you look at who's affected the most, women of color tend to be left out of the career narrative. And so I wanted to say, hey, there's more women than what we're focusing on. And so let's talk about intersectionality more. Yeah. Well, let's talk about it a little bit more. So what are some of the reasons why you think that women of color in particular are left out of the narrative? A a lot of reasons, but I think it's easier for most of us uh, to say women in the workplace. But when Mm -hmm. we kind of pull back the cover, oftentimes we're really focused on white women and then anybody after. Right. And so Mm -hmm. I think that that just that's the way society has kind of conditioned all of us, right? Because even when I think of a, a woman, sometimes I don't automatically think, I think of white, if you say man, woman, I think about white man, white woman, right? Mm-hmm. And so because you see that on TV, you see that in the About Us pages, you're just so inundated with one particular demographic that oftentimes you're not thinking, well, what does it look like if there were more of us, right? And when I looked at companies About Us pages, when I looked at leadership 
a lot of companies were saying diversity is important, but yet you didn't see that demonstrated. And I thought, okay, well, there has to be some accountability to say, yes, um, this is important for women, but it's important for all women, not a just select group of women. And so, for example, one in five white women will be advanced to the C-suite, whereas one in 25 women of color. And so that doesn't necessarily mean that there's not, there's only a select few of women of color. We just don't have access to the opportunities as some of our counterparts. And so I just really wanted to shed a light on, um, on that because the more we know, the more we can find solutions that help everybody, right? And so I think it's important just to expand our career narrative and our language so that we're being more inclusive. And you did. So the memo (laughs) came out in 2019 and I feel like it just skyrocketed. It blew up. Was it even more successful than what you imagined? Absolutely. Um, I I would say that I wasn't, I was very surprised because, you know, what a lot of maybe your listeners don't know is that, you know, I had very few followers. I did, you know, not, (laughs) I was not popular, famous, any of those things. I just took a piece out of Toni Morrison's book, or she says, write the book you want to read. And I wanted to write a book in which women of color were centered in the career narrative so that our counterparts can also help us create more inclusive work environments if they know what we're experiencing. So all I had, Stacey, was my story. And I, at the time, I didn't know if that was enough. Right? <laughs> so, um, <laughs> but what I realized was we all have a voice. We just have to decide how we want to use it. And that's for all women, all listeners. We all have a voice. Um, and, and because of just some of the things that were happening in our world, uh, a syndemic, multiple pandemics at once, it just amplified the work um, that I was doing in a really special way. And I'm excited. You know, my hope was that Black and brown women would read the memo. But my real hope, too, was that our allies and champions, managers and leaders would read it, too, because then we really can get to some solutions. Absolutely. Like when I read this book, it felt refreshing. So one of the biggest differences that I know in my groups that I support is that the women of color, they don't have difficulty. And this is a a generalization, of course, but they tend to be very ambitious. And they're like, you know, I want to a C-suite title. I want more pay. I want equal pay. And they're willing to say that. And, and the reason why I point this out is because I'll have the white women in the room. It takes a little bit encouraging, right? You know, like, do you want it? Like, well, title's not important. So again, it's a generalization, but then, so if it's not about ambition, And it's not about the desire. And they certainly have the willingness to put themselves out there to have those conversations. They hear suggestions like the beautiful ones that you gave us at the beginning of this episode, where they're like, okay, build those allies, build those advocates. So they're doing all of that work. Why is is it still so challenging for them to get ahead? What's actually happening for them? Yeah, I think you, you you hit it on the head. The ambition, it's not lack of ambition. It's actually an opportunity gap, in, in my opinion, because most women of color, most Black women are have plenty of access to mentors, but we are under-sponsored. Mm-hmm. I think about the times in which, in my career, where I had the opportunity to advance, it wasn't because I worked the hardest or had the most productivity. It was because somebody with influence used their privilege to help catapult my career. And oftentimes Mm -hmm. (laughs) we just don't have those sponsors like some of our counterparts do, because let's be honest, Stacey, most of the time, um, what tends to happen unconscious or consciously is that we gravitate toward people who look like us or remind us of our younger selves. Right. And if you're one of the only, you don't often have the privilege of 
of having a manager that looks like you or a mentor that looks like you. And so sometimes we're not thought of for those stretch positions and those sorts of things, even though we are articulating that, right? But when you don't have the access to the opportunity, then it really does create this, you know, glass cliff, if you will. Glass cliff. Ooh, tell me about that. That's how <laughs> I, <I> big. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, what ends up happening, I think, with women of color in particular is when we do get an opportunity to lead, and this is, I, I find this historically, but don't quote me on this, but I, I have seen it happen at some companies when we do get advanced, it's because something bad has happened, right? There's been some crisis, Black Lives Matter or whatever. And now they're like, oh, let's just put a woman or let's put a woman of color in this position to fix everything. And it's unfortunate that a lot of companies think that, oh, well, when some crisis happens, just throw a woman in it because they'll just, that'll fix everything. And that's not being thoughtful. That's not being equitable, right? What about all the women that are doing really great work just don't have the opportunity for that. And so I think that it's really incumbent upon those who are already at the table to really think about who's missing and what opportunities can we provide? And this isn't charity. This is saying, wow, okay, we are constantly hiring the same type of person. They identify this way. What would it look like if we interview a diverse slate of candidates so that we make it equitable, right? And I think that the demonstration uh, for equity is what has been missing. And I think that is hurting a lot of women of color in the workplace. So the demonstration of equity and that the representation, is that what you mean or how it actually works? Exactly. So I think that it's being talked about. So we're using the right language, but we're not demonstrating the action, right? Mm -hmm. So it's a lot, (laughs) so it's a lot of talk, but we don't often see it. If you think about the companies that said, you know, Black Lives Matter last year, and you look, if you were to go and look at their about us pages or look at their language and their um, job descriptions, not a lot has changed. Mm-hmm. And, um, and I think that, again, it's the accountability, but, you know, black and brown women, women, we can't do it by ourselves. You know, we need those people <laughs> who are in these positions to be more self-aware and emotionally intelligent about, you know, who's being promoted, who's being advanced and who's being retained. Mm-hmm. And I also appreciate um, resources like the work that you're doing with the memo because it allows the conversation to open because I think that there is this desire to when you don't understand something to not talk about it, to shy away from it. And so having resources like this that really just open the door that say, Hey, let's talk about this. Why aren't the numbers increasing? Why aren't the about us pages changing? And, and so it really opens up that door for that dialogue, which is going to encourage leaders at the top to really question it and do something different. So I, I really value having these open conversations. Speaking of so now it's it's not necessarily a different turn with your second book. I think it's a continuation. It seems like a much deeper dive actually to what are you use the word racial trauma and to what is really being activated in the women as they try and accelerate their careers and plus you've done it in this beautiful way interviewing 200 women of color and it just I want to hear more about this book. I'm so excited for it to come out. Thank you. I am so excited too. You know, I, I, I don't know if I could say this as the author, but I did love the memo, but I'm in love with Right Within. Like, I feel like it's the big sister um, to the memo. And if you haven't read the memo yet, you could still jump right into Right Within. What I realized after writing the memo, Stacy, is that there's a lot of harm that's been caused in the workplace. And you can't 
move on without dealing with the pain, right? So for example, my career, I mourned the career RIP to the date where I had to leave my dream job. That was 2013. I was the only black woman and the only woman of color uh, in my department. And I had, I was being racially aggressed every day I went to work and I could no longer stay there. I mean, it was affecting my mental health. It was infecting my work, everything. And when I tried to speak up to try to get some help from colleagues or management, uh, I was met with, well, this is just how it's going to be. If you don't think this is the right place for you, then you need to find a new place to work. And I realized that that's painful, right? When I left, I left, I put that trauma in my bag and I went to another job, but it didn't mean that that pain wasn't still there, that I wasn't triggered when I went into a new workplace thinking that I might encounter the same thing, right? And so I think that we don't talk about the workplace trauma, the harms that impact many of our careers and our personalities. Uh, Dr. Martin Luther King said, racism distorts the personality. I was in my former life for 15 years. There's not a day I didn't go to work where I wasn't micro or macro aggressed. That eventually catches up to how you see yourself. You can't bring your authentic self to work if you're continuously being harmed. And I talk about that and how we can move forward from that pain. But also we have to partner with our managers who are willing to learn how to be committed to racial equity in the workplace and not continuously re-traumatize their employees. And so I really dig deeper into what that looks like. Yes, this level of accountability, because I think, I mean, you know, this is, it could be somewhat wishful thinking, but I think what a lot of managers are noticing is once they realize what they're doing, they are willing to do something different. I mean, you know, benefit of the doubt. There are certainly some managers that are not interested at all. And it sounds like in your position in 2013, like you were, you were very much making them aware of what was happening and there wasn't the interest to change. But I think that if we can just start there, which is opening this dialogue, having this conversation to say, look, this this does matter. To your point, I love, love, love that you're using the word trauma because I I talk about PTSD in the workplace all the time, like anywhere from daily microaggressions that they may not have even been aware that were happening to having that really terrible boss that shut them down every single day and they take that PTSD with them into the next role and really dealing with that situation because it makes it less about something that we did wrong. Like you said, we internalize it. We we bring that trauma with us. And so what are some of the ways that we can start to work through the trauma and what are some of the, are are the tools offered in the book as well or? Yes, I have a a lot of frameworks and tools within, within, right within, because I feel like, you know, we can't change every person in the workplace, but we can affirm ourselves first. And oftentimes when you are one of the only or one of few, you don't have anyone to affirm that that was in fact racism or sexism. Right. Or exactly. Yes, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Like I'm, I'm often the first one who points that out for them. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So you're like, um, did I make this up? Is this really happening? And so you create this paranoia, really, it may be happening, but it might not. And if, 
And if I was in a really racially charged environment, then I get a new job. It may not be there, but I now have you that feel, trauma with me. Right. I feel like everything at every corner. I'm like, it's almost like those scary movies, right? You're like, where I, I'm, I'm peeking behind every corner because I know it's going to be here, but it may not. But I have been so traumatized. And yes. now my manager might be wondering, well, what's her problem, right? Why is she acting so defensive or whatever the case, and they may not be emotionally intelligent to know that, oh, maybe there's something that they've experienced that I, 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 I was just like, <laughs> she needs to speak up more. <laughs> right? Like, like, no, she, you know, it's like, no, there's a reason. If she's not doing that, it's because of some reason. And so, yes, maybe she needs to see that that this environment is not as toxic as the previous one, but so that she can speak up more. <laughs> Right. right. You know, so it's just important that and then if you do have a situation that's happening at this new team that you're on, feeling comfortable to be able to address that with your manager and to your point with your manager not dismissing your claims. Two things can be true at the same time. You may not be experiencing racism or sexism as a manager, but someone on your team might. Right. So how do right. we do that? And and in this new book, I also have a manager's pledge where I'm asking every manager to commit to equity for everybody on their team, because it doesn't just benefit women of color or women, it, anybody who feels like they're on the margins. How do we commit to it? What do we do? Well, I'm just going to read you a, a couple of uh, points. This is, Great. Um, I haven't shared this, but this is from the manager's pledge, just for people to think through how you can commit to equity. A couple of the bullet points is, I will acknowledge that I have biases that I need to understand and reconcile. Another one is I will commit to engaging in courageous conversations. They might sometimes be difficult, but I know they are necessary to create an inclusive workplace. And one of the last ones I'll read to you is even if I make a mistake, I will commit to the daily practice of being a better manager who is committed to equity for all. Yes. And I think that we have to be committed and, and we can't be defensive. We have to put our egos out of the way because that's the only way we're going to make the workplace work for everybody. It's not personal, right? Yes. And so that's why I like this commitment because it's, I, I, you know, I'm not bringing this up to you because of, because you're a bad person, right? Because you did something wrong. It's admitting to not knowing it's admitting to, to not being perfect, to being willing to engage in the conversation. I love that so much. So another thing that kind of comes to mind, since you interviewed 200 women inside of this book, were they difficult to find? The stories were not difficult at all because right. That's, <laughs> so, I mean, that was, this is my assumption. I, yeah. I have a feeling that once this book comes out, there's going to be a lot more right behind it. So I'd I, love yeah, I, I, I'm certain. I mean, I talked to women who have taken a legal route uh, because they've experienced so much racial um, discrimination inside the workplace. I've talked to women who are staying in toxic environments because that's where they are in their life. And this is to get to their next career goal. This is how they have to figure out how to make that toxic environment work for them till they get what they need out of the mm -hmm. situation. I've met with, um, I talked to women who experienced a lot of depression. They're still ex experiencing anxiety and they left the workplace and some are now working for themselves, forced entrepreneurship, right? You know, I never intended on being an entrepreneur or an author, but I was forced out of my job in a sense, or I, I decided to leave because I knew that I could no longer just survive in that environment. And so again, realizing that there's a lot of pain when you have to walk away. And it's unfortunate because 
a lot of those bad characters are still in their positions. They were never held accountable. And there being, um, you know, there's been many women who come behind all of us and are experiencing that same workplace. And it doesn't, we don't have to normalize that. And so it was heartbreaking, but it was also freeing to be able to finally tell their stories. Do you have a hashtag that goes with this book yet? I was thinking about <laughs> me too, you know, something like that. But I, I just have a feeling all the uh, stories are going to come out of the woodworks. But is there anything like that associated? With not that? yet, not yet. But I, if you hashtag right within, <laughs> I'm going to get people to try to try to tell their tell their stories because because we mm-hmm. haven't been given permission or believed or. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it it's a place where a lot of people still feel uncomfortable talking about that pain, mm-hmm. right? Because oftentimes we just say, oh, well, this is just the way it is. And we sweep it under the rug, but we can no longer do that if we're creating more equitable workplaces. Exactly. That's why I asked because the, the Me Too movement was so powerful. And just to be able to give women the ability to share their stories without um, judgment, right? And so yeah. it was just clear, like it was just like, oh, I have had this happen too. And so when we're able to see a book like this and to be, to see that it's not, it's again, it's not personal, that this is something that happens to other women. And, um, and then that way we can actually make an informed decision about what we're going to do different going forward. So I really am so thrilled that this is coming out and look forward to seeing that you're creating a movement and, um, (laughs) and and we're, it's already in motion. I'm really glad. What kind of, uh, as we kind of close out here, what words of advice do you have to a a woman who's trying to advance her career? Anything else that you want to add to this conversation? Yeah. You know, the one thing I would say, uh, another piece of the puzzle that really helped me on my road to success, I guess you could say, is investing in myself. You are your best asset. I think sometimes when we've been missed over for the promotion or we didn't get the raise that we asked for, sometimes we start to think, is it me? And and when we function in that way, then nothing good comes of it, right? And so continue to invest in yourself, remind yourself who you are, what you've done so far to get here. And if there's other tools that you need in your toolkit to be even more amazing, then don't be afraid to invest in yourself to, to get those tools and get that access. And if necessary, Um, Maybe the table that you're at is not right for you, but it doesn't mean that you're not right for the position. Yes, exactly. Thank you so much. So Minda, how can we find you? I will link to both of your books in the show notes, but what are other ways that we can start learning more about you if we're interested in this work? Yes, I'm so excited. Thank you again, Stacey, for having me. If you go to mindahearts.com, you'll find all my social assets. We're also running a manager's book club in November. So if you're uh, interested in reading right within and you still have some need some help unpacking, I'm um, partnering with Dr. Nika White. Um, and she's a DEI consultant. And so we're having a session together. So you can go to my website. You can check all that out. Oh, wonderful. Definitely will. Well, thank you so, so much for being here today. I really appreciate it. And I know my listeners do as well. Thank you for opening the door to this conversation. It's very important. Thank you. Hey, if you are looking to get promoted into senior executive leadership, or you just want to make a bigger impact at your organization today, then I invite you to join me inside of Executive Ahead of Time. This six-week group 
coaching intensive sets you up for leadership success. So not only will you gain the tools to get promoted into that next level position, but you will also have success once you get there. Go to executiveheadoftime.com. That's executiveheadoftime.com to learn more and register today. Join us so you have everything you need to ensure that you never get passed over for a promotion again.